0: Awesome. So in my uh, neighborhood of Eastlake, uh-huh. which is in District 4, we actually have the highest concentration of houseboats right, in of the course. city. Right, of course. Well, um, floating houses. Floating houses. Is that what they're... That's
1: the... that Okay, the... so if it looks like a house, uh-huh. like it's just a big square house that's kind of on a dock... Uh-huh.
0: It's actually a floating house. A floating house. Now, okay. Now,
1: not to be pedantic, but uh-huh. I, do, I do live on a boat. Yeah, so I want to <laughs>
0: I I be politically correct with it. Um, there are
1: houseboats too. Houseboats. There are some of those. They look. They're like almost more like boats. They. You know, uh-huh. they're like a li- weird little house on top of a boat shape. Right, right. But that's anyway, not what we're talking about. There's some of those in there too. Okay,
0: in the East Lake. Dogs. But no, it's floating houses. Yeah. Definitely, <clears throat> that's what I meant. Anyway, so we have <laughs> the, the highest concentration of floating houses um, in the 1970s. There was a famous East Lake, semi-famous East Lake resident named uh, Terry Pettis, who was a communist. He actually founded the Pacific um, newspaper, Pacific Northwest Newspaper Guild. And he organized all of the residents of the floating houses to tax themselves to pay for cleanup of the lake. Damn. And it's something that, you know, Seattle residents have a long tradition of taxing their property to pay for shit. Because we don't have
2: the political
0: will necessarily to tax the rich and the uber-rich. Yeah. But um, I feel, as strange as it seems to say, in touch with my Northwest communist roots by being... On this boat, and I'm hoping that you're taxing yourself to pay for these Bloody Marys that we're drinking. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yes.
2: Sucks. Welcome back to Seattle Sucks. It's a whole new year. Greg keeps saying it's a whole new season. Season two. This is the next season apparently (laughs) of uh, Seattle Sucks so welcome to it. Um, As well we're joined with a very special guest but before we introduce that guest I think Greg had something to say about um, you giving us some money. Yeah
1: speaking of speaking of the Seattle Sucks fund uh, we've just launched a patreon that just is a... <laughs> anyway we're now uh taking more seriously the idea of begging people for money <laughs> um because uh it seems like it seems like uh leaving money on the table otherwise also i'm like extru- i'm mostly unemployed and kind of like, have nothing going on except this. So, <laughs> you can find our Patreon. We'll link to it. Yeah. Um, that will help us continue to keep doing this and um, buying better and better liquor for guests. hmm uh, And so, every little bit helps. Yeah. And, you know, like we said last time, if there is enough interest shown, maybe we'll consider premium content. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to make the first move. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, yeah, thanks for that, Greg. Uh, So we're joined by um, the incredible Sean Scott. So if you're not aware of Sean, he's an author of a book, Millennials and the Moments That Made Us. Um, He is he was a journalist at City Arts. He's an activist. He uh, is a member of DSA and he happens to be running for city council in District 4. So welcome to the show. We're really so glad to have you here. Thank you so much. We've been trying to make this happen for a long time. Yeah, and your star keeps rising as ours maybe putters behind. Yeah, you know, <laughs> not quite the same rate. Well, of you growth, sh- you shamed me on
0: Twitter for that was great. That was very well played. <laughs> uh, the, you know, guilt just isn't guilt isn't only for liberals. It turns out there's such a thing <laughs> yeah. as socialist guilt. I'll and see. when you shame me on Twitter for not following up on an appointment that we had. to... Uh, Meet and talk. It's very effective. That's interesting. No, I that guess, was yeah. a
1: big revelation for me. I don't know if I buy your thesis. One of my like recurring <laughs> theses theses on this show is that there is no socialist guilt.
2: Um, so that is something we may have to parse it. We can explore the time. Well, right. um, so really, what you don't know about Greg is Greg does not have guilt. Right? So <laughs> That's it's what not we're getting into okay. right. socialist All right. well, I, per se. But it, as usual,
1: I tend to. <laughs> sort of project my own psyche onto like the Everything. structure. Right. Uh, you know, sure. um, which I'm totally comfortable doing and is really why I have a podcast. Right. Just,
2: yeah, thank you for coming on the show. Um as we said you're running for city council in District mm-hmm. Four, which is northeast Seattle, which includes U District. Right. Um <coughs> Laurelhurst, is that right? Wedgwood, Ravenna, Maple uh, Leaf, Roosevelt. East Lake. Yeah. Um and I think one big thing we wanted to talk to you about is your recent sort of policy paper that you put mm-hmm. out on Medium, and I think you maybe put it out on my birthday, on the solstice. Oh, happy birthday. 21st uh, right. of uh, December. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just wanted to talk you through that because, um, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but I, it was very unique for me to see, mm-hmm. so I'd love to hear the thinking behind it and the history. Right.
0: Well, the policy rollout, it rolled out um, on your birthday, on the (laughs) the solstice, because um, that's a a time of year, I think symbolically, where you hear uh, a lot of people talking about women and LGBTQIA plus folks in particular talking about feeling unsafe when it's as dark as it is on streets that are as poorly lit as many of Seattle's streets are. And so uh, rolling out a policy platform that had to do with how do we make Seattle Um, an actually anti-sexist, anti-homophobic city um, was an opportunity that um, we had been thinking about for a while. And so, um, you know, Greg, you were um, riffing a little bit about sort of the lack of um, the voices of women and LGBTQIA folks generally. I think in urban planning, that's something that you see a lot, which is is odd because um, Jane Jacobs is like the most influential urban planner ever, um, and, and so it, it's unfortunate that, you know, sort of subsequently a lot of the things that she had to say about how cities were supposed to be outlaid have really not been implemented so much by male leadership. Um, and so, you know, central to the ja- the J- Jacobian, Jacobian mm-hmm. vision, um, is this idea that increased density, more people having their eyes on the street, as she put it, housing options of all kinds of sort of income tiers, especially for working people. Means that your streets are going to be safer. There are going to be there's going to be more street activity, a better sense of um, people having ownership of their neighborhoods and mm-hmm. the public space in it, and so that is really kind of the foundation of 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 my candidacy. Ultimately, is um, having a housing first, ha- housing now, deeply affordable housing approach. But having that focus means that um, we're going to see peripheral. or I don't mean to say peripheral, but um, other. You know, other related benefits and other walks of civic life. For sure. instance, um, suddenly when people are feeling safer as a matter of having more street activity, you have less of a need for carceral solutions and yeah. pushing for hundreds, you know, more police officers on the street. When you're you're going in the direction of housing now, housing first, women and LGBTQI plus folks who are in. Um, abusive relationships, for example, will be more likely to leave those because they're not depending on them for the financial stability that might come with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so housing forms the core... Housing is sort of as it relates to the right that the citizens of Seattle have to the city forms the core of my platform, but it's not a a gender-blind or a race-blind urbanist vision. It's one that says that um, actually having more public space Um, having more civic investment in housing means that we're going to have the quality of life for minorities, for women, for um, sexual minorities is going to be greater in the end. That's one
1: thing that I found uniquely interesting is in that piece you are able to talk about safety on the street Mm -hmm. which historically has been like very much like a reactionary Mm -hmm. sort of talking point in that because as you say it's usually directed at mm-hmm. the carceral solution, exactly. the police state, mm-hmm. uh, more cops, better armed cops, mm-hmm. um, more prisons. Right. Like that—that's the solution to all this. So, mm-hmm. I think that's what's so unique about like a, the a growing left mm-hmm. is an ability to, to to actually say something new about mm-hmm. and really combat talk about the same. What are real issues, but talk mm-hmm. about them in different ways. So I, I just, mm-hmm. I'd like to hear more about like how we can get to a place where we need less cops, where mm-hmm. we don't or don't feel mm-hmm. the need for mm-hmm. the carceral state, or that an argument that can actually make the idea of like police abolition
0: like right. seem real. You right. Know? Well, I think that the way to think about this is in sort of the context of a thirty five year long war on drugs going all the way back to nineteen eighty two, where you know, the Reagan administration and a lot of prison profiteers realized that there was a lot of business, military contractors who were in business with local police departments. Among them, these big institutional forces realized that there was actually a lot of money and political capital to be made off of the over criminalization of ills like drug abuse and street crime. A half generation prior, we actually saw our greatest steps forward as a country with respect to stemming drug abuse and it's it's a, a problem that correlates very very strongly to the houseless population it's why i'm bringing it up in this context but we saw our greatest steps forward on that issue when we treated drug abuse with empathy as something that needed treatment as opposed to something that needed uh, punishment yeah mm-hmm. and so methadone clinics that opened in the in the, the 1970s we never have we have we have not gotten back to a point where we saw where we were more successful than we were at that point in fighting the so-called war on drugs, so I think locally, the decisions that we make are being made in the in the context of that that broad federal sort of tectonic context. And so, for example, one of the things that we're going to get ready to talk about is safe consumption sites locally. I mean, yeah. that's the the yeah. most local, hyper-local sort of equivalent to this this broader federal trend that we see, and it has to do again with realizing that people need to be thinking in more critical ways about attitudes that we have towards certain social ills and there have been studies that have been done that show that, you know, people's capacity for empathy shuts off at a certain point in time when they're confronted yeah. with images of homelessness and drug abuse. Mm-hmm. But I think that that plays to our worst political instincts and I think it also leads to worser policy outcomes. There has been um, study after study that has been done that's shown that we're actually, for, for all of us, and no no person is, is happy about drug abuse no person is happy to see to have to you know step over homeless folks you know in the in the morning Mm -hmm. you know to get to work nobody's happy about those things not the least of which are houseless neighbors and so i think we want to get to a point where that that um that notion of empathy that all of us are able to exercise in our in our personal lives is something that is sort of writ large in a civic sense these these arguments combat like again this much
1: larger sort of right wing idea that the war on drugs mm-hmm. and the fear of drugs and addiction on street crime, mm-hmm. all these things have been used to increase the power of like a police state mm-hmm. of, of a paramilitary or military militarized mm-hmm. police state that incarcerates more people mm-hmm. than anyone possibly in the history of the planet. Right. We've been doing this for not quite a year. Homelessness issue in this city and all everything that has to do with that has been a big part of our beat and it's been like kind of chilling really chilling to read the ways and see the ways talk about the ways where the home somehow Mm -hmm. you can almost get your head around the idea of street crime and drug addiction if you're a total asshole thinking like that the answer is like jack booted thugs right right. badges you know um (laughs) and throwing tons of people in prison where really those are used to increase that state, to mm-hmm. put the police state, also just uh, very specifically, I think, to put mm-hmm. a lot of black people in jail. Right. Um, but in this city, there is an attitude, somehow that is mm-hmm. the actually homelessness mm-hmm. is being put right alongside those things right. of crime and mm-hmm. drugs, as as if it's like an ill in itself. Mm-hmm. That right. The people on the street are a social ill, mm-hmm that needs to be cleaned up somehow and mm-hmm. the obvious solution to a lot of people is again more cops cleaning them up exactly and it's it's just like been like a really nauseating mm-hmm. yeah and disturbing thing to mm-hmm.
0: hear that right. and it like really talked about very openly openly in this city connecting all those things right it's uh it is it is very very unfortunate i mean seattle has sort of a history of this carceral sort of law and order approach to populations that are stigmatized and marginalized. I mean, it was Seattle that in the late 18 or in the 1880s had federal troops come up here to execute the expulsion of our Chinese population. Mm -hmm. And that happened in February of, I believe it was 1883. And the troops just kind of hung around until June or July um, because of the, you know, the traffic that they provided to local restaurants Mm -hmm. and um, saloons it was actually a business boon to have this kind of law and order you know sort of apparatus here and so we've been dealing with that as a city for as long as we've been a city and the thing about it is that it just doesn't work it, you know you can make the, all the moral arguments in the world of which there are many foremost among them being you know racism is bad I don't know about you guys but that's just kind of the read I'm starting to get you ever <laughs> notice that? that it yeah, might be,
2: it, that's starting to form. Don't right. I don't know. I'm coming around. Jury's still out? Well,
0: I think that there's a case to be made, to say the least. But aside from the moral arguments, it's it's also the policy arguments that just doesn't lead to good mm-hmm. outcomes for anybody. Wow. The Ravenna, I think about the Ravenna Woods Encampment, homeless encampment that is Located in my district. I attended The last sweep of that encampment Or a sweep of that encampment. It may have been Swept another time since, but I attended a sweep of that encampment that took Place in uh, April Of this year. Um, And my understanding Is that it had already been swept Multiple times And the houseless folks just end up Going, re-matriculating right back To that same location. It is very reminiscent Of stories that we heard about Hoovervilles that sprung up in the middle of the Great Depression. And in fact, the University of Washington's uh, Civil Rights and Labor History project, which has done some work on um, sort of historicizing the Great Depression in Washington state, they talk about the same refrain of just like you sweep the encampment, it just gets reestablished at a later point. And so we're dealing with all of those lessons now. And I think we're going to, we're going to, it's going to have to take getting to a point where we realize that um, it's not homeless people that are the problem. It's homelessness as, as a, as in and of itself, as a social ill that is mm-hmm. created by a lot of structural forces. Yeah. That are gonna make um, the problem, which is not the people, go away. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, like you're describing, the way
1: that the drug war and the quote war on crime somehow gets away with mm-hmm. just expanding the police state mm-hmm. without actually. Affecting any positive solution, mm-hmm. which is there's pieces of theater mm-hmm. that they can do just constantly, endlessly. Mm-hmm. That shows, look, we're doing something. Progress. So, like whether that's a drug right. bust by the mm-hmm. DEA or mm-hmm. something as sort of petty and inhumane mm-hmm. as a camp- encampment sweep mm-hmm. here in Seattle, it's Ow. sort of red meat. It's just they're saying, look, we right. got a bunch of calls from like right. people assholes with um, right. like houses in Ravenna <laughs> right. that. There's the this homeless menace in the woods, mm-hmm. and this is us performing that we are using the tools we exactly. have specified, the police state, right. to do something about
0: it, and costing the city in the process ten million dollars a year mm-hmm. on this ineffective policy measure. Day, yeah. uh, Sheikh Hawkins Jr., mm-hmm. Day Sheikh Kim Hawkins yep. Jr. We've done, had him on actually. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, has done some great reporting about this. Yeah, and he talked has. about how um, it's just a waste of money. I want to make sure to clarify. I attended the Raven- Ravenna Woods sweep not as a cop. <laughs> um, as a protester i don't know if that was clear from i feel like i left a qualifier out there i
2: showed up uh, with just, my buddies yeah, i brought yeah, the no. donuts and Hooray. coffee that morning <laughs> um. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> are you dressed up like one of those proud boys in like makeshift medieval armor? I had the polo and everything, to, and the black yeah, polo with the yellow uh, collar. <laughs> I,
0: was, I was a good boy. Yeah, they, well, it brings out I mean, right, Yeah,
2: I mean exactly like you're saying. It it feels like the conversation is all about aesthetics, mm-hmm. and that it's it's an eyesore really more than anything. Mm-hmm. And um, we've talked about this on the show a lot. Mm-hmm. And that nothing is being done to address the systemic issues that cause Mm -hmm. the conditions that create all of these problems and scare quotes that we have in Seattle. Right. And and so one thing sort of related to uh, housing, I guess, is um, I think the neighborhoods for all... Um, report came out maybe mm-hmm. late November. Mm-hmm. Is that right? How mm-hmm. how does that, um, does that intersect at all with um, this, is it mm-hmm. fair to call it feminist urbanism? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do those two play together or do they? It,
0: greatly. I mean, the Neighborhoods for All report to summarize for the listeners, it, it was a, a report that was released by the Seattle Planning Commission, mm-hmm. um, the city's own one of the city's own bureaus that revealed in scare quotes what many housing activists have been talking about for decades now which is that uh, single-family home zoning effectively creates a situation in cities like seattle where apartments are effectively illegal in upwards of two-thirds of the city's land mass these neighborhoods are zoned in such a way that the only kinds of property that you can place on them are single-family homes, not apartments, not duplexes, not condos, not a, you know, nothing of that sort. And that style of zoning, that residential configuration has deep, deep roots in residential segregation mm-hmm. in the sense that many of the homes that were placed in this zoning, in these seas of single-family zoning, were at one point in time racially restrictive And it has to do with the ways that big banks and big capital sort of cater to the prejudices of the 20th century, many of which I'd argue most of which still exist to this day. Homeowners being afraid that if you had renters, poor people, people of color, their property values would sink. And so what we have effectively is a bunch of apartment bans throughout Seattle. And when we talk about affordable housing, a lot of the conversation is frankly academic in the sense that there's only so much of the city's surface area where we can actually put affordable housing or dense housing of any kind. So that when you want to have a conversation about how to increase street activity, about how to have denser neighborhoods, more affordable neighborhoods, the area in which we can actually put any of those kinds of neighborhoods is severely limited as a result of this style of zoning, which the Planning Commission in the Neighborhood uh, for All report called attention to. My campaign um, in the days following the release of that report, we rolled out our own enthusiastic endorsement of the findings of the planning commission mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I thought it was important to as somebody who, I was a um, a student filmmaker when I was at uh, the University of Washington and worked with the Civil Rights and Labor History Project where they had actually done a lot of the first work to track sort of the roots of these single-family neighborhoods like Ravenna, Laurelhurst, etc. cetera, yeah. um, and the roots that that had in racial... Uh, segregation in Seattle in the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. And so this has always been something that I've, you know, have felt really, really passionate about undoing and addressing at the city level. And we're not the only city that recognizes this to be a problem. Minneapolis has recently, to an extent, abolished single-family zoning. But I think it's important to make sure that that's coupled with a real commitment to deep affordable housing Uh so that we're not just talking about opening up more of the city to large capitalist conglomerates, but we're actually creating more space in the city for people to have ownership of the city.
2: Mhm. And that's definitely something I'm hoping we'll touch on later when we talk about that city journal piece, mm, yeah, um about the su- supply of, of housing.
1: Right. Um, yeah. But I've got something we can go into is there anything else you want to touch on that we're thinking about? Yeah, because about? I mean
2: it's it wasn't all housing. You had you mm-hmm. had a lot of points you had removing tax on any products related to menstruation. Exactly. Um, Mm-hmm. You had broader support for mm-hmm. pronoun usage on city mm-hmm. forums. Were there any other things that you'd like to highlight specifically?
0: Well, in that uh, the Seattle is an anti-sexist city mm-hmm. um, policy rollout, we also tried to talk about reviving a universal basic income mm-hmm. pilot that the city oh, right. actually had in, in, in for, for a decade. From 1971 to 1982, we paid out about $24,000, the modern equivalent of $24,000 a year, to working families study a study that was done subsequent to the expiration of that program in 1982 showed that some of the greatest beneficiaries of that um basic income pilot were number one uh students and um students in the university district area
2: yeah
0: and number two um women that were stuck in bad relationships and wanted to get a divorce but couldn't do it because they were relying on male breadwinner models which were not um, up to that point the sexual revolution notwithstanding extinct Mm -hmm. um, as we got into the 1980s so I think that that's something else that I would like to think about and making that actually specific to working mothers and having that the, the revenue solution about where that would actually come from is a question that we have to address I have advance the idea of looking for an eco-tax on large polluters mm-hmm. in the region. So that's a potential revenue source that we can use to fund such a program. And I think addressing it, programs like these, entitlement programs like these at the municipal level, making them themed specifically for vulnerable populations is really yeah. going to be the way to go because yeah. history has sort of shown both at the local and the national levels that when you have broad entitlement programs that um are sort of advanced as universal in nature, there's a certain danger that they don't address the people that they really need to be addressing the most. Right. Yeah. And so actually having those programs, something like a basic income pilot, go yeah. towards working moms in particular, I mm-hmm. think is something that uh, if I ruled the world or if I was a city councilman, I'd, I'd, yeah. uh, I'd be pushing for that.
2: Yeah, I as a parent, I mm-hmm. when I read that, I, that definitely really resonated with me because... Um, until you have a child, you don't realize how much work they are. They're an incredible amount of work. And right. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've said, I, I don't know what a single parent would do, especially if you're working. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just impossible. So right. a solution like this to help those people in that situation mm-hmm. would be fantastic. And right. I think I remember you saying that potentially we could pay for it by a, you called it, I believe, a pink tax right. by taxing any company, big businesses that were contributing towards the pay gap Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all for that. That, that sounds great. Me too. Sounds Let's get like another idea. hard tax fight, <laughs> yeah. which uh, I'm all in for. I yeah. think, like, yeah, we need to pay um, more money.
1: I mean, this is why you know. Okay, so you're a democratic mm-hmm. socialist, right? You've got these big dreams and these, <laughs> right? Uh, and this 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 nutty idea of uh, you know taxing the people who are benefiting most right. from our society um i mean social equity who, who, who does that <laughs> yeah. i don't know man well In not this city, <laughs> yeah. not yet i mean yeah. you know we lit. Uh, of course something we uh covered a lot on this podcast mm-hmm. is the sort of thrilling bizarre and ultimately demoralizing fight over the head tax right my take on it anyway is like i'd rather fight for that stuff and lose and advance the conversation right over and over and over again i think that's something that that's why mm-hmm. we need them and more active left right Is to be willing to argue from an ideological position mm-hmm. right. of what's right and what's needed and be willing to lose until you win mm-hmm. but that goes to like this question of like well so for example um Shamswan we have a socialist on the city council we Sure, Swann. Do. she her you know also her um the all the uh district the 7 district seats are up in on it's November 5th of this year, 2019. So it's yep. a ways out. But um, her one challenger so far, I think... Wow, what's his name? Beto, uh... Beto O'Rourke. Beto, Beto, <laughs> yeah, Beto O'Rourke has moved to the Central District. Uh, Beto, Beto I Yars? Feel
2: my, I feel my calves cramping.
1: Um, you know, he's offered... His sort of basic critique that he's offered is... Um, it's it's pretty thin, but mm-hmm. it's like... Swant hasn't, you know, focused on mm-hmm. issues local to the third mm-hmm. um that she's concerned with these larger issues i think mm-hmm. the first
0: thing to say with that is like meet the left Great. asshole <laughs> like it's it's fucking structural you know well, like get used to it beto might want to move to district three before he starts yeah. running his mouth about people not focusing on district three yeah, i right. think that's you know it's it's kind of a low hurdle that he seemed to have tripped over in his announcement he hadn't yet actually lived in the district that he was purporting <laughs> to represent. So, you know, f- you know, funny on him to, to be accusing anybody else of ignoring the, the hyper-local issues. Right. I mean, I suppose when you have the largest corporation in the world and the richest individual in the history of the world living in your city... I don't think it's too much to ask that you pay attention to some of these large structural forces. But if Beto thinks otherwise, I think it's going to be on him to make that case in the course of the election. Yeah, well, I think people will make that case. And, I mean, to that point,
1: this Mm -hmm. year, or excuse me, this last year, 2018, I think was like a year where what sucks about Seattle... um, It's not only the year we started this podcast, but it's Mm -hmm. like the year that everything that sucks about Seattle went national. Like first we (laughs) had this, like again, the head tax (laughs) fight, which just was such a bald and like galvanizing example of everything that's sort of wrong with and sort of weak and lame about sort of Lib Dem local governance (laughs) about like just being totally in the pocket and totally under the leverage of Mm -hmm. big business. And I mean, we saw with the, you know, the biggest company in the world, the richest man just sort of stomp on the political mm-hmm. process here. And right. that was and that story went national during the same year mm-hmm. that that same company was perpetrating a massive con oh, on the yeah. entire country <laughs> that again also perfectly illustrated what is like an ongoing problem of this race to the bottom of cities and states like right. You know, selling their souls to these corporations for right. the the myth for those mythical jobs, jobs. gotta get those jobs. 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 Right. <laughs> and just this week, um, in the New York Times, which the Seattle Times picked up, and then mm-hmm. Gene Balk wrote a response in the Seattle Times about um, let's see, what's the New York Times headline? It is um, may your city never become San Francisco, New York, or Seattle. Right. And Gene Balk wrote about it in the Seattle Times, and then uh, the great. Charles Mudie um, right. had a response. to stranger. The, the sort of narrative of which is like, basically, in the New York Times, it's, uh, Seattleization is a particularly dire diagnosis. The high housing costs and tech riches there have remade the city with startling speed and then in the seattle times gene box says in so many ways seattle is an amazing success story thriving and economically vibrant which those are fucking meaningless words (laughs) um drawing thousands of people from around the country and the world when you think about the great american cities that have fallen on hard times that are losing population and dealing with epidemics of violent crime Seattle seems enviable wow. and so okay there's a lot of like meaningless signifiers in there uh-huh. and then again and Medede he
0: wrote that oh my god no I'm no no kidding. no <laughs> 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 it's like geez Medede. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's
0: a far fall
1: man yeah, yeah. um I'm just kidding. seriously and what Modidi pulls out and I recommend everyone take a look at this it's called um if you want worldly success, you must be like Seattle. And this is from January 2nd. <laughs> this is Charles Mediti in The Stranger or Slog, anyway. Um, and what he points out is like this mm-hmm. bullshit false dichotomy and this total like limit of options between what the other articles are talking about as mm-hmm. these like broken cities like Detroit right. or these. Growing hyper-capitalist cities like Seattle where it's like those are your two options which means Mm -hmm. and they can't they're like I don't know what to make of this Mm -hmm. because there's all these good things about Seattle that at the end their thesis seems to be well you have to take the good with the bad because Mm -hmm. the only other option is Detroit and Mm -hmm. Mudidi points out that this is like a ludicrous um, false dichotomy Right. so he says my point is the other cities considering Seattle's success and its dangers are not presented with other serious options. Mm-hmm. They do not exist. In capitalist societies, we have been confined to two cities, Detroit or Seattle. Mm-hmm. You can't really talk about how to avoid one without falling into the other. Right. And mm-hmm. to bring it back, right. that's why we. there has to be a structural critique. And that's why like, you can't talk about it's not, like, how can, mm-hmm. how can you say that people in the
0: third are not affected by these massive right. issues right you now? Yeah. Right, right, I mean, and, and, and I localize it to um, our district as well, where we have a, you know, a very, very strong um, union of academic and student employees that are very, mm-hmm. very aware of the neoliberal turn that, you know, Medede has written about very, very piercingly for years. Um, many, the fact that we have many years, as many, incessantly <laughs> <need to call> <laughs> beautifully, <laughs> you know, we, we have a, a big population of, of students and renters as well, people that very, very acutely feel the philosophical shift that we made from treating housing as a social good to treating it as a commodity. And that's something that, you know, we've started to see over the last couple of generations, and it has real material impacts on how we go about leading our lives in, in in District 4. I mean, people having to make the choice between nutrition and textbooks, yeah. I think, is a just morally reprehensible mm-hmm. state that speaks to sort of these broad shifts. But I think that the, the Detroit-Seattle dichotomy is interesting because it is founded in a structural reality that has become reified and is no less real as a result, even though it's based on an ideologically extreme position, which is that cities can't or shouldn't use own source revenues to fund the things that they need to take care of citizens in them. Yeah, And that if you um, do so much, do anything to really turn the heat up on the big businesses that you foster, provide lucrative contracts to, government kickbacks to, those same corporations are going to be legitimated and leaving. Mm-hmm. When you have an arrangement like, like that, that is, as I said, a, an extreme position philosophically, but has been made real by policy choices Over the decades, you have a situation where it can feel that way, even if that doesn't have to be the reality. And here, I think, you know, Mark Fisher's capitalist realism is a really formative Mm -hmm. way of thinking about these issues, was for me because it shows you that there is an alternative, despite what Margaret Thatcher opined. There is an alternative to this state of affairs, and the alternative is solidarity. It's cities, major cities at the regional level, at the national level, realizing that we're all playing the same game and that we'll continue to lose it as long as we're not in solidarity with one another. And internal solidarity as well, in the sense that um, people within um, cities and blocks of populations in the city need to realize that we have the ability to have a say-so over how our government functions with respect to these large corporations that take and take and take from the city but don't want to give back. Yeah, I think on the city
1: and state level anyway, I think this is different and way more complicated on the national level but on the city and state level to quote Margaret Thatcher again yeah you are going to have to spend
0: other people's money right and good mm-hmm. um but that's the fight mm-hmm. you know and that's um, it, it's important to make the case that that's wealth that we helped yeah. to create cities like seattle that had in the 1950s and 60s a strong military presence in particular were responsible for incubating the technology that became the internet right. that then led into um, sort of the tech boom that we saw in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, major corporations like Boeing. Uh, Boeing in particular actually received the largest package of corporate welfare in 2014, some 8 or $9 billion, uh, a, a welfare package that was the size of the city of Seattle's entire budget. <laughs> that's That's after um, decades of building that company on war
1: profiteering.
0: Right, and and they made the decision to just leave anyway, right? To relocate their corporate headquarters Uh or a headquarters anyway. Good thing we learned that lesson. Right, and so that's that's wealth that we helped create, and I think in the same way that labor is entitled to everything that it creates, I think civic wealth and civic engineering is entitled to everything that it creates, and so it's about building the political will for that position and realizing that it is a, a deeply controversial one only because we've seen... And gone for so long without advancing it, but I think I think we're I think we're starting to turn a corner here.
1: Yeah, that might be a good place to take a darker turn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we uh, we've uh, debated the uh, sanity of even going down this road, but to hear a bit from the uh, this is something we try to do is hear mm-hmm. the other side. We yep. try to we try to bring in fair all all voices yeah. and be fair and balanced. Uh-huh. Um, on on this show, and this week we were treated to a, an article in City journal republished in the New York Post looks like if I'm reading this correctly, on the 27th wow, um, of December. This is from Friend of the Show, Friend of Seattle Christopher Rufo, who mysteriously was for like an hour and a half running for yeah. s- uh, city council against M- Michael Bryan. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. this is called Seattle under siege <laughs> <laughs> so just
2: like is this a new death wish is yeah yeah but this
1: Seattle? is the um what's the isn't it from under siege
2: Oh, Seagal? Yeah, um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. This
1: is this is a Seattle-based Death Wish. Instead of Bronson, it's Charles. It's uh, Seagal. Okay. Yeah. So that that's basically it. Um, if you just read between the lines, which is like a lot of what we've covered from Next Door and right. where else. So I think I told Colin I was almost punching holes in the hull <laughs> of the boat uh, reading this the other day <laughs> after he sent it to me and because it's just so fucking aggravating okay i mean it's just it's just fucking dark man but this is so it's invol- he it's a long piece and he really sums up like a lot of mm-hmm. the attitude in this town mm-hmm. like that exists i'm not saying it's a majority but right. man it is out there yeah. and he is uh re- i mean he's vocalizing it uh, pretty thoroughly here seattle is under siege over the past five years, the Emerald City has seen an explosion of homelessness, crime, and addiction. Which, notice, like, those are just... That's just a list separated only by commas. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Home It's something we've come... This con, uh-huh. This conflation of these yeah. things. I yeah. mean, I will never get through this, because every sentence no. I'm just going to no. trip over, like... No. Oh, God damn it. In its 2017 point-in-time count of the homeless King County Social Services Agency, All Home found... Uh, 1,100, 643 people sleeping in tents, cars, and emergency shelters. Property crime has risen to a rate two and a half times higher than Los Angeles's and four times higher than New York City's. I'm going to take those statistics
0: as as, like that has heavily massaged i mean just hearing hearing these words from rufo it really brings to mind the the dark knight movie (laughs) series and it (laughs) makes me wonder why rufo doesn't just commit to the terminal point of his ideological position which is to just don the batman uniform (laughs) and fight the crime himself i mean if, if if it's so if it's as if it's as terrible as he says it is and institutions have been doing so little and nothing for so long and it's simultaneously true that government shouldn't be doing anything to solve these things, then why not just find a Robin, you know, spend, you know, whatever it takes to get a mobile and just go out and just fight it himself. I wait, mean, I wait, that... is he Batman or is he Bane, though? I, <laughs> no, I, think, I think
1: Bane got a Batman. You're like, oh, no, I'm Bane. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know Christopher Rufo was merely influenced by the dark. I was gold and <laughs> yeah. sculpted by. It. You adopted it. It betrays him because it belongs to me. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, uh
1: cleanup crews pick up tens of thousands of dirty needles from city streets and parks every year. Again, like conflation of these things right. um as causal or inextricable. We could be <laughs> Mm-hmm. We could be looking at these things separately, right, on a structural level, and solving all of them, right. Um, Very, true. instead of just vilifying
0: the people suffering most in our right. society. Well, it's it's really interesting to me because the the eyesore logic that you were talking about a little bit earlier, sort of, um, that's a moving target. Sometimes the eyesore has been the populations themselves. Other times the eyesore has been structures that are designed to house those populations and these fights that we saw around public housing Mm -hmm. in the 50s and 60s. And so Mm -hmm. the eyesore argument from the vantage point of the white gaze, if you will, which I think Rufo has really, really focused into a real fulcrum point has always been a moving target, but the problem has always fundamentally been these populations as a reflection of structural failures that we don't have the the political will to address. And, And this is really, I think, I mean, you said that bringing up, you know, Christopher Rufo was a dark turn. I actually think it's probably about the whitest thing that we could be talking about. (laughs) Because, there's really nothing nothing more indicative of Seattle's sort of long legacies of white supremacy than sort of these kinds of attitudes towards Mm -hmm. vulnerable and subaltern populations. And I think it's... Rufo serves a very, very useful uh, sort of role in the equation of city politics, because when you have somebody that is voicing such an extreme position as unapologetically, it really, I think, forces a lot of us to pick which side of that equation we're on. And politicians that appear more proximal to coalitions that are friendly to Christopher Rufo have to be accountable to that. And those of us who are on the other side of the divide have to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to make sure that that's not a vision for Seattle that, uh, that is going to be realized.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Okay, he goes on, at the same time, according to Puget Sound Business Journal, awesome publication. Yeah. Everybody yeah. should read Puget Sound Fantastic. Business Journal because they've got really great things to say. The Seattle metro area spends more than $1 billion fighting homelessness every year. That's nearly $100,000 for every homeless man, woman, and child in King County.
2: Where's the...
0: what is the... the the basis in reality
2: for that. Who the fuck knows? Well, And (sighs) and again, like just taking that on its face, the city is paying a lot of money to Mm -hmm. essentially round up homeless people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's great expense that's not solving any problem. So you can just say we're spending a billion Mm dollars, but as we just talked about, Mm -hmm. you're not spending a billion dollars towards solving anything material. Well, I'll go even farther than that. And say, first of all, so this is this, and this is actually
1: not just this issue, but this is a standard sort Mm -hmm. of conservative neoliberal trope of we're spending all this money and Mm -hmm. there's still a problem, so obviously we've wasted all that money, money. not
0: the problem is bigger than (laughs) what we're doing to fight it. And so... Yeah, what if we were spending a billion dollars? Is that an argument for... I mean, first of all, I think that statistic is dubious. Yeah, totally. I would would like to see... um, Sort of where those numbers are pulled from and how that was sort of arrived at. But even if that were the case, what's the point? I mean, what is the point that's being made? Right. Because yeah, right, made, right, right. We have a what? problem. People right. are suffering.
1: So if that's the price tag, what that should tell you uh-huh. is that the system that created that fucking problem right. is in, is profoundly right. inefficient and punishing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like it's that is a a hole in our social budget here that is being caused by
0: whatever system Mm -hmm. put all those people out on the street right so well if, if if the argument is for scaling back expenses that have to do with um addressing houselessness then i hope that you know christopher rufo would also um argue for uh, cutting back on the, the $10 million a year that are spent on sweeps. I mean, that's part mm-hmm. of that budget that he's talking about. That's, you know, amount that's resulted in um, ineffective policy outcomes. And so I, I think it's 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 pretty disingenuous, I think, is what it comes down to yeah. um, the line of reasoning here. And, um, you know, he may or may not hop into the race. I mean, I I sort of followed what was going on in all these these city council races because I want to get a, a sense of, who I'm going to be working with when we get in there. And he may or may not hop back into the race. I have sort of the sense that, you know, that's something that could potentially happen. And if not him individually, I think it's, you know, you guys are doing a good job of talking about how representative of a broader philosophical sort of trend and, and you know, sort of a rightward mm-hmm. turn among certain segments of the electorate. But I think that local elections have repeatedly shown that a lot of these sort of regressive forces are not in in as much of a position of power or electoral strength as their as their volume
2: and their vocalness would would indicate. So, yeah. yeah. I well, mean that's really important. Well, in, C- in, in Seattle <laughs> what we've seen again to bring it back to the employee head tax, mm-hmm. really their power is just the money. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, was, right. Like the head tax fight.
2: All they had it to was, say it was, was just about money. We
1: might spend oh. a little bit of money on this, so back yeah. off. You know, right, yeah. it was that simple. Yeah. Uh, he goes on. Seattle has. I'm skipping ahead a little here. Seattle has long been known as one of America's most liberal locales. But in recent years, the city has marched even further left. As socialists, once relegated to the margins, have declared war on the democratic establishment. Socialist Alternative City Councilwoman Chama Swant claims that the city homelessness crisis is the inevitable result of the Amazon boom. I think that's simplifying, but in a way that she should simplify. Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> so, greedy landlords, go figure, and rapidly increasing rents. This is why the resurgent left is so important. Mm-hmm. It's because when the right when reactionary forces try to argue against sort of mealy mouth compromising mm-hmm. lib dems right it, it's it's easy to cut down bullshit mm-hmm. but what and he does this constantly throughout here when he tries to argue with the socialist position mm-hmm. he just has to state the socialist position yeah, as right, if right. It, and it's, it's this terrible <laughs> it's thing so like on its face right, right. Yeah, but yeah. you yeah. just read it just like thank well, you for making our <laughs> yeah. point you know, yeah. like um uh, so like that's why that's yeah. That's
2: That's the the political calculus. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: That's why. That's the political calculus for me. It's like all they can do is make Mm -hmm. the point. I mean, I'm sure they'll come up with new tools, but right. uh, As she told Street Roots News, the explosion of the homelessness crisis is a symptom of how deeply dysfunctional capitalism is, and also how much worse living standards have gotten within the last several decades. I mean, this is his pull quote: Mm -hmm. "The capitalists of Amazon." Uh, that was he was quoting. So on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes mm-hmm. back, the capitalists of Amazon, Starbucks, and Microsoft, and Boeing, in her Marxian optic, generate enormous wealth for themselves, drive up housing prices, and push the working class toward poverty and despair, and, too often, onto the streets. <laughs> it's like... Wasn't that literally what happens? <laughs> yeah. it's the, it's like, yeah. I'm trying like, to... He just, he's, like, saying that, like, right. from his, like perspective yeah. just he's so up his own his ass mind. he's yeah. like right. can you believe this <laughs> yeah. it's like well
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean
1: on the sur okay now he has to back up and admit he's smart he's he's clever enough to say on the surface this argument
0: has its own logic well, he's gonna have it has it's logic he's gonna <laughs> yeah. us here i mean, the most sexist thing that you can do right is just say well you know she might be a woman, but she's <laughs> making a lot of sense right now. Thank yeah. you for that. So yeah, exactly. she's, only, she's only a professor of economics yeah. and a two-term councilwoman. Yeah. Who the fuck are you to say yeah. anything about how much sense it is or is not making? Oh, totally. Come on, man. Yeah. Uh, advocates point to
1: Zillow and McKinsey studies that show a high correlation between rent hikes and homelessness, an example in Seattle. Uh, yeah, wait. wait, between rent high rent hikes and homelessness i'm confused (laughs) uh but correlation is not causation Mm. and the survey data paint a remarkably different picture and here
0: you can smell this coming down the road right right the survey Survey. data you don't even know what you know what he's (laughs) he's talking about when i started to smell it was with correlation is not (laughs) causation. i studied philosophy at the university of washington and any time any one of these guys dropped that phrase. That's how you knew that it was, it was time to order <laughs> a shot. Yes, exactly. You
1: know. Okay, so according to
2: <laughs> the drinking game. county's
1: yeah. point-in-time study, only 6% of homeless people surveyed cited could not afford rent increase as the precipitating cause of their situation, pointing instead to a wide range of problems. Domestic violence, incarceration, <laughs> mental illness, family conflict, medical conditions, breakups, eviction, addiction, and job right. loss as bigger factors. Okay, so first of all, mm-hmm. a left structural critique is happy to comment <laughs> right. on how to solve literally every one of those actual right. problems. Right. <laughs> Secondly, the question is, like in his mind, and, it, and this is common, it's like, what went down the day you became homeless. Right. Yeah. Again, like the moment you personally, Uh not the decade you held on by your fucking fingernails paying every dollar, paying 50% of your income Mm -hmm. in in rent and just being fucked over by the Mm-hmm. Uh, exorbitant expense of being poor.
2: What was the what was the thing that, that li- kicked you into the pit?
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. That day, right. It's unsavory to say the least. Uh, God, <laughs> this Christopher Rufo's killing my buzz right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, Seahawks game to watch later. I was feeling pretty good about. Yes, yeah, oh, yeah. there's, there's more
1: mescal here. We can do another uh, <laughs> uh, Bloody Mary. We should. Have right thank you very much. So, um, having laid out those other causes Mm -hmm. and correlations. Right. Which I'm sure you are more than ready to address in your campaign. Right. And uh, in a term on the city council, Mm -hmm. he goes on to say, even in a pricey city like Seattle, oh God, I need to like steady myself to read this, most working and middle class residents respond to economic incentives... In logical ways, Colon, relocating to less expensive neighborhoods, downsizing to smaller apartments, taking in roommates, moving in with family, or leaving the city altogether. So fuck you, he says to anyone <laughs> right. who is struggling to pay their rent. Right.
0: Fuck off. Just yeah. fuck off. It's, it's not, it's very, very bad. I mean, one of the reasons why we made our our campaign slogan, fighting for the right to the city, a term that you know activists in cities have used for decades under the influence of uh, Henry LeFavre's work. It's because most of the messages that we sort of get from people in positions of power and their cheerleaders and apologists, of which I would count Rufo one, is that if you don't like it, you can simply leave. And yeah. it's this logic of separating people out from public land that was initiated in, in what we saw with um, and what we know about how Seattle has interacted with its with its indigenous populations for decades since the inception of the town—it's been replicated in the Chinese expulsion. It's something that we see we we saw with the Japanese American incarceration, gentrification, um, it is what gentrification of Black communities is. exactly. So this this logic of or this this sort of process of social domination separating the public out from public land. This is really kind of the, the latest iteration of that that, uh, that that Rufo is sort of articulating here.
1: Yeah. And when you say it, it's gentrification, I mean, that's what... He's he's giving a very, like, bald endorsement of mm-hmm. gentrification. Right. But even, like, the, the more mainstream sort of liberal view is happy to hand-ring mm-hmm. about gentrification as such. Right. But ultimately endorses the same logic right. that says leave it to the free market and almost more importantly and insidiously
2: mm-hmm.
1: embraces mm-hmm. the causes of gentrification right. and sort of, it's like we were talking about with taking the good and the bad right. you know, like like in the New York Times piece, mm-hmm. it's like they'll talk about the vibrancy and the economic growth mm-hmm. as these are good things right. without interrogating mm-hmm. what that means for, and talk about the city, exactly. as this entity independent of the people who are living there. Right. So that you can talk about the city is doing very well. The right. city is booming. Mm-hmm. The city is vibrant and attracting jobs. Right. But what is the city? Other, but the fucking people who live there already, right. and the relations
0: know? that they that they form with one another. Yeah, right.
1: and their co- communities. And so, what mm-hmm. you're asking again? It's also this is just this very like modern American accepted idea that mm-hmm. just. Bucking off out of your neighborhood, exactly. leaving your communal ties behind, mm-hmm. being nomadic and dislocated, mm-hmm. is what a modern 21st century life is. Right. And
0: it's time for someone to say, like, that fucking sucks. Yeah. And it's not natural, either. No. And it's not rational, despite what uh, Professor Rufo has to say about it there. I think that <laughs> it's uh, it, it's constructed, it's reified, and as a result, it's something that can be undone, too. Yeah, you could imagine a different
1: social contract that mm-hmm. allowed for, mm-hmm. without sort of broadly endorsing this concept, economic growth, right. that in a just way, that mm-hmm. benefited the people who are already living in that exactly. area, right. you know, quote, again, to, <clears throat> uh, to, without really interrogating sort of the language of this, to improve a neighborhood mm-hmm. without that meaning kicking out like the black families that have lived there for mm-hmm. 75 years you know? exactly like, right uh there is a way to imagine that being possible mm-hmm. um but you know it's it's without it's out it's currently outside of uh the scope of what is in people's imaginations right god that makes me fucking mad um i live on a boat <laughs> you know you know what i mean like i'm doing okay I, I found a way to be very poor and kind of have fun with it but right. man that's like That's, that's a, I have boat privilege. Right, right. (laughs) uh, Again, just making the case, just getting the, so much of like our politics and the resurgent left is just about like getting Mm -hmm. policies out there. Right. When people hear this shit, they fucking like it. Right. But again, because he can't imagine this, he makes the case for it here. He just like gets it on people's minds. Right. Using homelessness as a symbol of capitalism's moral failure, in scare quotes, The socialists hope to build support for their agenda of rent control, Mm -hmm. public housing, unpopular things like that. Oh, and also minimum
0: wage hikes and punitive corporate taxation. I mean, he does do a very, very good job of making our case in pretty eloquent terms. I mean, I wonder if the thing to do is to actually have Seattle DSA send Rufo an invitation because he seems to be quite the propagandist. I know. For I the, mean, the socialist could he position. be some kind of double agent? Like a
1: red herring <laughs> uh, for the left? Like, um, In that case, he should probably run. Um, maybe we can convince him uh, to get back in it. One might dismiss... This is really... Offensive. One might dismiss Sawant as cartoonish. Well, one might. One can also I, be you, a, a You chode. have just yeah. now um, <laughs> you, you can. One might dismiss you as a, a major asshole. But <laughs> she has been remarkably successful in stoking resentment against Amazon tech bros. I think that's a simplification, but mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. And building public support for pushing the billionaire class in scare quotes with new taxes and uh it sounds like he's
0: congratulating her right well (laughs) the billionaire class i don't understand why we're putting that in quotation marks (laughs) i mean there are a class of billionaires they do in fact have a billion dollars and they do act with class consciousness so like most americans he's he's class blind right right? (laughs) i mean he doesn't see color either is what I
1: heard. Yeah, you want to talk about class consciousness? He's basically congratulating Sawant on promoting class consciousness <laughs> right, right, right among the working class in oh Seattle. Like, I mean, good. <laughs> like, thank you. Is uh, what she should say to him for this.
0: Where does he? Where does he land with this? How does his? Does he oh have my God, a? It's so long. We'll never get through it. But um, so let's yeah. see. Like, so he t- talks about like
1: the four sort of ideological positions. Mm-hmm. And we've mostly been reading his takedown of the socialists, but mm-hmm. um, so it's like he identifies this sort of four-legged stool of Seattle politics mm-hmm. as socialists, the compassion brigades. It's like it's re- the like the right it's a right-wing trope to like deride human compassion. Exactly, I, mean, I, I think it's losing its fucking purchase if it ever had any. Yeah, ever had any? Like, right. I mean, just think about what you're saying, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the homeless industrial complex which he goes on to talk about oh god it's so enervating en- like that one of the drivers of the spending is are mm-hmm. these nonprofits that help uh that work to house people or support people in all right. the ways that they do as if they're motivated by getting those grants exactly to right. do that which is like I mean You got it like, kind of backwards, buddy. Like, like, it's like it doesn't a, even make sense. And he really actually I'm gonna find this where he talks about this Oh but the fourth one is um oh and Addiction Evangelists, which he sets up like in the twenty first century, there are no straw men left because right. there's always someone. You can always cherry pick someone right. who's gonna espouse whatever you and then massage that whatever you want. So he's right. he's like his fourth thing is the dumbest of all is like people who are like mm-hmm. actively civically engaged people promoting addiction right. and, and okay but i really do want to find this about um what he says about the homelessness industrial complex right <laughs> oh god he's so good um with more than one billion spent on homelessness in seattle every year not enough one should keep in mind vladimir lenin's famous quotation who stands to gain in the world of Seattle homelessness, the big winners, scare quotes, are social services providers like the Seattle Housing and Resource Effort, the Low Income Housing Institute, and the Downtown Emergency Service Center. Right. Which constitute what I call the city's homelessness industrial complex for the executive leadership of these organizations organizations. Homelessness is a lucrative business. In a most recent federal findings, the executive director of L I H I, the Low Income Housing Institute, Sharon Lee, earned $187,209 in annual compensation, putting her in the top three percent Notice let we'll talk about that. Of income earners nationwide, in my estimation, the executive director of Downtown Emergency Service Center, Danny Malone, has received at least $2 million in total compensation during his, he admits here, extended career <laughs> in the misery business. So, like, just to break down his numbers there for a minute, like, mm-hmm. he says, in, in the top three, making $187,000 puts you in the top 3%. Right. If you know what the graph of American income looks like, right. you know that the, like, hockey stick... Portion starts after that, right? Right, and it's at the one percent. (laughs) It's like because like actual like corporate executives make multi millions of dollars a year in compensation alone, to say nothing of capital gains. Right. This is an old fucking trope about Mm -hmm. government employees, union Mm -hmm. employees. Right. About the as incomes fall generally, Mm -hmm. lashing out at people who make a decent living because of whatever institutional power they have. Right. As if that's not fair. Instead of saying, well, everyone should be making 187000 a year, because that's what the fuck it would cost to, like, exactly. say, actually have, like, a dignified life and a family. <laughs> right, right. Where if you chose, like, only one person worked, right. you know, and you raised kids, yeah. like, that that's actually not that fucking much money in this town. Right. I mean, that's, like, a decent... Yeah. human life right like what does he expect but that you also wants like he's okay god no you know he makes more than that right, right? but he wants <laughs> if you're work also if you're working in any kind of mm-hmm. service to the community right part of that is that you should be sacrificing your own personal right well-being to right. do that exactly like that's the only legitimate way to do that <laughs> so he quotes someone who says you know who's talking about how the goal of these organizations is to keep collecting mm-hmm. grants and federal matching funds. And it's like, well, okay. That's kind like, of how it goes. <laughs> they're, yeah, like are trying to... they're charities like trying to do work. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure what you're saying. Right. And ends with this great quote. It's more important to keep the staff paid than to actually help the poor become self-sufficient. And it's like, again, like, Take a fucking step back for a minute. Right. Like, people need to make a fucking living. Right. Like, in a just society, everyone would. Mm-hmm. And asking people who are helping their community to, like, for that to be a
0: sacrifice, like, right. I don't know. It just fucking drives me nuts. It's absurd. Let's see the conclusion. I'm curious about how, okay. he, how he gets this all tied up in the end here. Near the end, he says. The best way to prevent homelessness
1: isn't to build new apartment complex or pass new tax levies, but to rebuild the family, community, and social bonds that once held communities together.
0: Well... Where would you like to start? Time moves on. I think that's what a lot of conservatives of various stripes have a hard time understanding. Um, and it's not just Christopher Rufo in our race in the district four contest my opponent alex peterson had earlier on in the year uh posted an article that had the headline make seattle great again and that gives you a really good sense of sort of where a lot of these people are coming from in the sense that populations like millennials like people of color like like people who rent and don't aspire to to say nothing of have the ability to actually attain that picket fence lifestyle uh represent the fact that time moves forward, that the country move forward, that the city is facing challenges and problems in 2019 that are not the same ones as the ones that we had in 1959. And there's a real nostalgia that I think underwrites a lot of this worldview that Rufo is espousing here, and that they're having a hard time just coming to grips with the fact that it's not the same country that they had been promised as very entitled folks who have the expectation that subaltern populations are always and marginalized populations are always going to be sort of in a position of social subservience they're having to deal with and contend with the fact that the winds of time are sort of blowing and leaving them behind so it's uh it's exciting times and i think that it's going to be up to us as organizers and as true progressives as lefties to make sure that um these folks go the way of uh of the dinosaurs and the dodo birds of of politics and that there's a new sort of sense of Actual vibrancy, not just buzzword, meaningless vibrancy and progressiveness and uh in city politics moving forward. Vibrations that like everyone in the
1: city can feel. Exactly. You know? Right. Um I think it also goes to like this like I think a standard sort of pillar of conservative worldview and ideology, mm-hmm. which is that uh the root of the structure and of the reality of people's lives it all comes from culture it's Mm -hmm. all about your cultural choices right They want to individualize it and make it about the Mm -hmm. choices you make in life Mm -hmm. and they want to make the primary focus Mm -hmm. of those choices is always culture Mm -hmm. and that's why it comes back to this family stuff um no one's against families per se exactly right like but but they don't want to but they want to say that mm-hmm. culture comes first, mm-hmm. and you see this in every argument mm-hmm. about certainly a- a- any time relating to populations mm-hmm. in poverty. It's everything from like pull up your pants to like <laughs> right. and like rap music to right. like like all these things, and mm-hmm. and then that uh, J D Vance right, right hillbilly right. elegy right, <laughs> right. like um, that's the white version. <laughs> um, it's like. It's all about... It's because culture has degraded. Right. And these people continue to make these bad cultural choices. Right. This is... It's important to understand a quintessential mm-hmm. pillar of conservative worldview. Mm-hmm. But it's also one that, for the last 35
0: years, mm-hmm. has been adopted by neoliberal Democrats. Right. Very true. I mean, I think, I think about... Um, I believe it was Senator Patrick uh, Moynihan in uh, the late 1960s. I think it was 1968 who had written... Um, the commission on the crisis of the black family yeah. sort of ascribing a lot of the social ills that existed in major cities in the um, aftermath of the, the high water marks of the civil rights movement, saying that the reason why those social ills existed was not because of the tremendous socioeconomic odds that black families were facing, but because of an intrinsic deficit in uh, black families where, you know, women, black women were... The ones who were stewarding families, as opposed to black men taking the rightfully assumed breadwinner leadership role that had guided uh, American economic policy for the previous, at that point, thirty years, and so M- Moynihan's logic, I think you're right to say, has proven remarkably tenacious, not just among conservatives, but also among a lot of liberals and progressives, yep. even who who assume that you know the problem with many populations that are you know struggling with being priced out of their neighborhoods that are seeing an achievement gap in American schools has to do with intrinsic deficits, intrinsic deficits to them. And, you know, it's also, in addition to being bogus and disingenuous, I think it's also just factually not true, right? Like, I think about the fact that... Right, no, it's horseshit. Here's, here's, you know, a guy like Jay-Z, whose primary motivation in life for many decades was the acquisition of capital and wanting to marry... An attractive socially valued woman who's a high achiever and accumulate a billion dollars that sounds like the republican dream to me yeah right and in any other context somebody like him would be celebrated as a he would and in, in fact he is celebrated as an entrepreneur celebrated as all of these things that sort of uphold this neoliberal logic but it goes to show that the problem is not necessarily with the culture because culture is as susceptible and malleable among black people as it is among anybody else, and we actually see some pretty right leaning factions in African American culture that serve to prop up and apologize for capital. And so it's it shows you that the argument is disingenuous because the problem yeah. all along, much like with the eyesore thing we were talking about earlier, has always been the people. It's never yeah. about any of these sort of peripheral concerns. That, that's
1: well, it's a, it's the talking about it in terms in these moral terms these moral individualized terms mm-hmm. is a veil over not wanting to talk about mm-hmm. the structural morality exactly. our morality as a people exactly. you know, on a larger level because that would mean mm-hmm. making real changes when you can just blame people right. and this is an old thing i mean right. this is this goes back this is like a very victorian right. like uh attitude like mm-hmm. the poor poor cuz they're degenerates yeah. that's you know not to endorse mm-hmm. outright the, like, normative nuclear family exactly. or anything, but if people weren't struggling mm-hmm. so much, if communities hadn't been broken apart mm-hmm. by capitalism, right. if people weren't dislocated... Again, mm-hmm. in the same piece, mm-hmm. he's arguing, this asshole is arguing <laughs> that people who can't pay their rent should just right. just scatter off into the winds. Exactly. And then he's saying, mm-hmm. but it's right. really because mm-hmm. these these... Degenerate slobs don't keep their families together. Exactly. Right. Right. It's like those two things are totally contradictory. If you want to promote family and community, Mm -hmm. your enemy is fucking capitalism. Exactly. And I'm no, I'm not interested in Mm -hmm. promoting exclusively a, Mm -hmm. a, like I said, normative nuclear family. Right. But some people want that, Mm -hmm. or might choose that if they weren't just beaten into the ground and dislocated and atomized constantly. Exactly. Um, I mean, what causes? the most friction in Mm -hmm. marriage. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's fucking money. Economic stressors. Very true. So, anyway, this guy is full of shit, um, (laughs) but it's really been fun. Um, Right. Uh... I hope, I hope he does get back into the race, but I'm more excited about uh, your candidacy, and we're gonna be okay. know, we're gonna be following that also awesome. closely. Uh, we'll, be... well, that's I think that that's a lot of content right. for this week. Um, thank you so much, thank you so much, Sean, much for Scott, for coming on. on. We're gonna link to all of the relevant, all these
0: pieces, and to your website because right. we want people yeah. to be able to get involved as mm-hmm. well. Right. So have everybody uh, sign up to. Uh, scott2019.com check us out on twitter too we're at elect scott 2019 yep. uh, on facebook um on, on, under the uh, name sean scott for district 4 and uh if you live in the u district you live in eastlake ravenna wallingford um we're gonna be coming to check you out laurelhurst sandpoint view ridge too uh, we'll see you guys uh on the streets coming up here our canvassing operation is getting ready to um sort of start to launch so uh, we look right forward on. to getting out and talking I want to you. That's involved. awesome,
2: and uh, folks can donate to you too through your website. Sure, sure can. You absolutely okay. can. All right. Well, we'll put a link to that as well.
1: And I'm sure we'll be talking about this over the next uh, oh, ten yeah. months. Yeah. Ten
2: months from today, I think actually is the election.
1: True. Um, you know, we'll be uh, we'll be we'll be pushing this campaign yeah, that whole need, time. We
2: need a big flag with your face on it that we can. <laughs> I've got <laughs> one right
0: here that you can. <laughs> <understand> <laughs> that. Um, Thanks, for everybody. Rachel. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you.